All right, thank you guys. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn it to Luke chapter 2. I love Christmas season. We are going through a series of messages that are themed for Christmas. Last week, we did a message called Christmas Worthship, which was really focusing on what really worship is, prescribing or ascribing worth to the person that it's directed to. Today, our message is titled Christmas Sayings. Okay, and as we go through this, you're going to pick up on why we're doing it that way. But this is a way of introduction. We're going to have a little fun. Christmas is, is a time where things are added in and this time of season, and we do fun things. So I thought, I'm going to do something a little bit fun today. We're going to have a little contest. You're, most everybody, you're sitting next to someone. You're going to have a contest with them right now. I'm going to read a saying because the message is Christmas Sayings. Right? I'm going to read a saying from a Christmas movie, and you're, the competition is you're going to tell me, you got to say, blurt out first, what the movie is or the person who said it in that movie. Okay, let's see how you do on this. The, the saying's going to come up, and then the answer will be after that. But here's the first one. Are you ready? The best way to spread Christmas cheer is to sing loud for all to hear. That's right. There you go. See? There it is. That's Buddy the Elf. Okay, all right, you guys catch on really fast, that's good. All right, God bless us, everyone. Christmas Carol, Tiny Tim, correct. Now remember, you're competing with the person next to you, you know, so husband and wives, I should see some, you know. All right, if you uh, experienced Christmas in the 80s, you're going to know this one, ready? Fragile, it must be Italian. Yeah, (laughs) man, you're going to be on my team in Pictionary, Christmas Pictionary. That's right. Christmas story. All right. I want my house to be seen from space. Nope. 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 I haven't heard it out there. It's this one is I thought this might this one is deck the halls. You may not know that one. Yeah. Okay. Ready for this one? Okay. What if Christmas, he thought doesn't come from a store. What if Christmas perhaps means a little bit more? Yeah, that's the Grinch. (laughs) Okay, a couple more here. A toy is never truly happy until it is loved by a child. Yeah, I think the competition is you two right here. Okay, we got uh, two more. Teacher says every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. Yeah, wonderful life. Do you know who said it, though? Zuzu. Zuzu. Right. Okay, last one. This one's my favorite. Save the best for last. Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. Yeah, Kevin McAllister from Home Alone. That's right. Now, you guys did pretty good on those, okay? Let's transition now. It's Christmas sayings. Now, I'm going to read a saying from... The biblical Christmas story. And you're going to tell me now, not the movie, but who said it. Okay? And no cheating. Last service, people started, you know, they got their Bibles out. No, no. No phones, no Bibles. Just eyes up here. You ready? Here we go. Now, the first one is a softball. You should get this. Okay? First one to blurt it out. Who, Who said this? I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. Yeah, see, I gave you an easy one, but you're catching on. Okay, here we go. Are you ready? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Not Herod, the Magi. The Magi showed up and said, where is he who's born king of the Jews? Bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Yeah, yeah, see, you put that in sequence. You got it right there. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Not Gabriel. That is Elizabeth. Right. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. That is Gabriel. (laughs) I flipped those around. I thought that would trick you. All right. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Yeah, the shepherds. Yeah. Just a couple more here. 
how will this be? For I am a virgin. If you got that one wrong. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Yeah, I heard of Zechariah, not Zechariah. Simeon. See, I, I, a lot of people are like, there's, there's, there's two old couples in this, and sometimes they get the lines and, you know, what they did mixed up. But this, that's the whole point of this, is sayings, how well do you, you all got the movie quotes, didn't you? Right? Because you've seen it so many times, repetition over the years, how many times have I seen Kevin McAllister say that line? You know, but, you know, the biblical story, how well do we know that? But so the point is, this is what I want to drive at. I'm going to read to you another one, okay? This is in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to back up a little bit. It says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, here's the thing about this. If I said that, I'm pretty sure you would have got that when you said, oh, that's the angels, you know, that's when, you know, the shepherds in the field. But here's where most people get this one wrong. This scene, the vast majority of people get it wrong because in their mind, they got the shepherds and the angels are up there, and what they see is the angels singing. They're singing. They're singing, glory to God in the highest, something like that, right? But that is not what they did. It says they were saying, not singing. That's why I've titled this Christmas Sayings, because we're going to differentiate and we're going to look at sayings versus singing today in this message. In fact, my very first point of the message is this. Angelic expression is primarily through saying. In the Christmas story that you read, if you like get, get your family together and you're looking, at it, we're going to read the Christmas story. There are no angels singing in the Christmas story. And, and I think we just overlooked that. I mean, somebody says, but pastor, I've seen it in the Christmas play, right? I mean, we go to the play and there's the angels are over there singing, you know, don't they sing? I'm pretty sure they sing. no. They don't. In fact, I remember when I was pastoring in L.A., we went to this, this mega church, transformed their whole parking lot into the town of Bethlehem. It was fenced off, the whole thing. There was an entrance. You had to go in and you pay your taxes. And you, I mean, it was, it was a thing to behold how much they did. And I remember walking along, there's animals. I walk in and there's a giant camel. You know, they had the coolest stuff to see, all the shops. But as we're walking around, suddenly this bright light like appeared and you could see over there. And what they did is they got all these people to dress up as angels and they were on the roof of a, of a building and you could see them and there they were. Ooh, and that's, we have that mind. They're over there. They're singing. No, there's no angels singing in the Christmas story. And one of the things I'm going to drive out a little bit here is that do angels sing? Do they sing anywhere in the Bible? Hmm. Because last year I made a comment that they don't, Right. So I'm going to actually unpack that a little bit more today. But before I do, I'm going to ask you this question. Is there anywhere in the Christmas story that we read that there is singing? Is there? Who? Elizabeth? Who? You know who? Okay, you're getting ahead of me. Yeah. All right. There is a place. We're going to come to that in a moment. But she said it's Mary. So you ruined one of my surprises, but that's okay. Um, I've been known to spoil movies. So I guess, you know, I got to take as much as I give. But this moment, Luke chapter 2, verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Like, I look at that and I go, that's a big moment. Like, if it's a movie, this is a, this is a big moment. Like, it's the public announcement. It's going to be big. And, and wouldn't that be when you would make, make the song? I mean, do you, do you ever watch musicals? Now, see, I'm okay with movies that have songs in them. You know, it's like, the, it's just a regular movie and then suddenly this is a big moment and so they turn it into a song. I got that. But then there are these things called musicals where every word in the whole movie is a musical. I struggle with those. I'm just telling you, I struggle with those. My wife, there was a, a famous one that came out and she's like, we gotta go see this. Everybody says it's really good. And it, it had Hugh Jackman in it. And I was like, I can't watch Hugh Jack. That's Wolverine. He can't, I can't watch him singing about mundane things. And it's, musicals are like, like, 
Every little thing is a song. It's like, can you tell me where the bathroom is? It's like, why are you putting that to music, you know? But I like the movies where the big moments, and I'm looking at this, it's Luke chapter 2, and the the angels are making the, the public announcement that he's been born. That's a song. That should be a song. And they just say it. Isn't that interesting? They don't sing it. They say it. Now, last week, we looked at a scene in the Christmas story, and then we jump to the future. I'm going to take you back there for a moment just to illustrate this saying versus singing. Do you remember last week when we went into the throne room of God with, with John, and we saw the, the, the 24 elders, the four living creatures, and we were watching what was going on, the, the, the many different ways they were worshiping and ascribing worth to, to the king, right? I'm going to read this again. Just follow along with me. This is Revelation chapter 4. And it says, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to sing, say. They never cease to say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. And you go down a little bit. It says they fall down before him who is seated at the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, singing, saying. They cast their crowns and saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Now, there's, hasn't, there's no, so he's looking up there. Is there any singing there around the throne room of God? But you continue on in chapter 5. Now, this is the 24 elders and the four living creatures, not angels. But, but look what happens. You carry on to chapter 5. John's looking up. And you move along through chapter 5. You get to verse 8. It says, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Ah, oh, finally some singing. Some singing. They sang. They're singing there in the throne room of God. They're singing. And I'm like, and then it gives you worthy are you to take the scroll? And of course, it's singing, you know, but I'm just saying it to you. But I don't know what the notes would be. Worthy are you. I'm not a great singer, you know. I, I'm one of those guys that makes a joyful noise, right? But if you go down, I want to show you what happens now in this throne room. You've, so you've got the 24 elder, elders and the, the living creatures, and they're singing now. And in verse 11, it says, Then I looked, this is John, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice. The angels finally come into the scene and they say again. So you come into a singing scene and now you don't join them in singing, you join them in saying? What is going on? Like I was thinking about a movie where they have a big scene and it's like I said, it's a big moment and the song is going on and suddenly this other character comes and he joins into the scene and while the song's going on, he just is standing there saying. Like that just seems strange to me. But I'm making a point. And the point is this. My question to you was, do angels sing? Right? Now you can search scriptures, but I'm going to give you what I've come to believe about this. And I gave you the point. Can we go to the side? The point was angelic expression is primarily saying, but that doesn't say they don't sing. Primarily saying, and here's my subpoints: Men utilize a diversity. If you read through Scripture, you're going to see men in their ascribing worth to God, to King, to Christ. And these are the, I just wrote these down. I actually found these words Every one of those words in a verse, They're, men are saying, men are shouting, men are crying out, men are calling out, men are weeping out. There's one where it's like they're crying, like literally crying and weeping. They're singing. So in the category of men, you can definitely find that men are singing. And then I showed you, this is what I just did, Revelation 4. They, the, the living creatures and the 24 elders, they say, and in verse 10, they say again, but in chapter 5, they sang a new song. There's a diversity there, right? Now, angels, though, my next point is that angels utilize one method frequently. 
They utilize one method frequently. And that is, and I put some verses there because sometimes, like the 5.11, they join the scene. It's all singing. But when they join in, they just say. But then you go to like Revelation 18, 1 to 2, they're calling out. So they have some diversity too. But do they sing? That's the question. Do they sing? Okay. Now, what I, if you go through all the scripture, frequently they say. But I'm going to take you to one place. Now, biblical scholars will have a debate about this. And so I think the, the, the most correct answer to say, do angels sing? And the answer is, it's inconclusive. Because most of what you see is saying, but I find this one verse, I'm going to take you there. It's in Job chapter 38, verse 7. And in Job 38, what you have is Job is suffering and God comes to him and he's talking to him and he says, where were you? He's giving him perspective. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Like I'm the only one that was around when I created everything. But then there's this little, little verse in there, verse 7, chapter 38. And it talks about how the sons of God, they're witnessing creation. That's why whenever I'm teaching about the created order, Angels are created first because then it says they saw everything else get made. But in the moment they saw God creating everything, it says they sang. But did they? And that's what the debate is about. I did a word study on this, the word sang in, in Job 38, 7. And um, here's what it means. Joyfully shouted, resolutely or resoundly cried, resoundly cried, rejoiced. It doesn't always denote singing. It can take the meaning in the context. Maybe they did sing there in that moment, but, but the order of what this word means, the singing's kind of lower in it. It primarily means these other things. This um, joyfully shouted, resoundly cried. And I was thinking about, you know, because I, I was telling you, earlier in the year about when I was coaching over at Harvest, and it came down to the end, there were these penalty kicks, you know, and it came down to the last kick, you know, and it's like, we got it, our, our keeper dove, and he saved it, and it was like, we knew, we won, and when that moment came, the boys all went running out on the field, and everything that they did was exactly what this word says. They ran onto the field, and they joyfully shouted, and they resoundingly cried, and they rejoiced, but I don't I wouldn't say they were singing. None of them went out and said, we have won the game. No, but they were shouting and resoundingly crying and like, like every aspect of that word. So there is this contextualized part where you look at it, maybe they did. But I will say this, that's why I phrased it the way I did. When you go through scripture, what you find, men use quite a diversity of means, but angels primarily say, now, what is the point of that? Well, before I give you the point, I've got to give you something else because there may be a reason why, and it's this, that angels may have a greater speciality that we don't realize. You may not know this, that there's something about them that's different than us. And that thing that's different is one of the ways they can ascribe worth to God in a way that we cannot. Okay? And I get this from... Well, first of all, I would say this. There's no doubts about this, that the, that the Bible describes angels as spirits. They do not have flesh and bone. They are not like us in that way. How do you sing? Well, I'm just giving you, this is uh, how I might describe it, right? <sighs> We bring in air and our lungs expand and the air comes in. And then when we're ready to sing, we let the air out and it passes through this way. And we use our, our, our vocal box and the way we inflect and we tense up or we let loose and we control the pitch and the power and the sound and the volume and we let it out and we sing. But angels have no body. They have no lungs. They don't have those things. They are spirit. They are, the word in the Greek is also the word for wind, the Holy Spirit, pneuma, wind. That's how it's described. I know the wind is there. I can feel it. It's present. Sometimes you hear it when it's whooshing over. But it's definitely not like a physical body. So there's that thought there, right? And then I take and I add to that this. 
in Ezekiel 28.13. This is a phenomenal passage because it's, it's describing something very ancient. It's describing Satan before he became Satan. It's describing Lucifer. And he's talking about this, this being, this, this angel, an angelic being, before sin got into him, before he was cast out of heaven. And as he's describing him, there's some of the physical descriptions. Remember, this is always writers describing what they see. It's like the, the, the way they describe what they're seeing is beautiful stones. And it gives you a list of them, the topaz, the ruby, the, all these things. But then there's this line in Ezekiel 28, in verse 13. And it's something like an instrument that's laid into him. In fact, the ESV, if you go to Ezekiel 28, it says it this way, <clears throat> crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. And those are the two important words, settings and engravings. What are those? You go to the King James, it says it this way, the workmanship of thy tabrets, if I'm pronouncing that right, and thy pipes. The New King James says it this way, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes. Now, that's pretty interesting. Now, just in case, you, if you don't know what those are, I got a picture. I looked them up. Timbrels and pipes. Now, I, I, I can't go outside and, and, and guess a whole lot. All I can give you is sometimes God gives us just a little bit. This is what I'm trying to put, piece things together. This is what God gives us. It, they're, they're spirits. They're not physical bodies. But in, in Lucifer, at least, he had that. And, and you think about like if I had that within me, how I could incorporate that into the way in which I ascribe worth to God, right? Now, let's just set that down for a second because I got to take you to the next point and show you. I'm, I'm giving you all of this because I want to contrast everything I've given you with something else that is important for you. So the first point is angels, the, the primary expression is saying. The second point is this, believers expression is unique when singing. There's something about the Christian and when they sing that is going to be absolutely unique in all the created universe. And that's what I want to show you through this. Now I said earlier, there are no angels singing in the Christmas story, but is there singing? Thank you. You gave us the answer. If you didn't hear it, it's Mary. It's Mary. It's called Mary's Magnificat. It's, it's, it's considered that this is a song. And it's over in Luke. We were in Luke 2. If you go to Luke 1, this is her. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And she goes on a little bit more as she ascribes worth to him. And, it, and scholars look at this and, they, and the way that this is written, this is like a psalm. This is a song that she wrote. And I look at it and I go, if I'm making a movie, the song moment for me is the angels in the sky, the public. This should be, a, no, but in the Bible over here, it's Mary. It's like character development. She sings her song here in this moment as what's coming out of her. And she's telling you what's on her heart as she has just learned and, 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 and that she's going to give birth. And then she goes and she's Elizabeth and, and Elizabeth is carrying John the Baptist. And there's this moment where Elizabeth says words to her that this is her expressing all those experiences in song form. There's the song in the Christmas story. But see, this is what I'm going to drive at you, is what Mary does there is what all of us should do. What God is doing in our lives, we should be responding to that in our worship to Him. And I'm going to come to that in a second, but, but I want to show you how believers, their expression is unique when singing. I'm going to build this point as we're going to look at a couple things in Scripture. And the first sub point for me is this, that we're, there's always singing in, in the great moments in history. And if you start all the way back to the beginning, first of all, if you go back to, to that Job passage, that is the beginning. It's creation. The angels are seeing it. And if they do sing in that moment, it's starting there and it's going to go forward all the way into eternity. But God's people 
They sang and they created songs for the big moments of their life. Song of worship at the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 5. This is the first formal song about victory. And if you know the story, they're coming out of Egypt. Pharaoh's army's hot on their trail. The waters part. They go through on dry land, get to the other side. The Egyptians show up. They're held off. But when God lets them come, they go through and the waters crash down and wipe out the Egyptian army. And do you know what happened immediately after that? Right after, they're washed away and they realize we are saved. We're truly free. We thought maybe we're not free because we could see the armies there. They sing. They create a song and it's recorded in Exodus and it's written down for all of time now. Recording that big moment of what God did. Judges chapter 5, the song of Deborah Deborah is a woman, and she's going to lead an army against this Canaanite king king called Juben, and she wins. And immediately after she wins, there's a victory. She says, make a song, and they make a song, and it's recorded for all time, that big moment. In fact, in the song, one of the lines is, let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the sun in full strength when it comes out. There's a song of worship for the ark, the ark of the covenant, the one that Indiana Jones tried to find, not Noah's ark, two different arks. And the story there is David wanted to bring the ark back to where he was, but first attempt failed. As it was being transported, someone touched it, which you're not supposed to do. The guy died. It ended up in the wrong place, but then later David hears that the place where it is resting, God's blessing it. And he goes, wait a minute, we need to get that back here. So God's blessing's here where it should be. So then he, he goes into action to bring the ark back to where it should be. And do you know what he does? He creates Essentially, when you read it, it's a parade. It's like when you, when you go New Year's morning, you wake up and there in New York, it's a giant parade, except David didn't have the giant balloon things floating, right? But it's like a marching band. There's people with instruments. Before it, there's singers. He puts this, all this together to celebrate God bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. There was this guy, his name was Chenaniah. And he was known as a music master and singer. And he puts together... Uh, music. He writes music and teaches it, and they sing it in this parade. There's a song of worship at Solomon's coronation. Did we get that right? Yes, coronation, when he's made the king. The Bible says, the singing was so tremendous that the ground shook. Now, if you've ever been to a concert, you can maybe understand that. A really large concert with loudspeakers. But they didn't even have electric loudspeakers powered, right? But they made the ground shake at Solomon's coronation. And just a couple more. This is perhaps one of the better ones. The song of worship when the temple was dedicated in 1 Chronicles 5. Now, this is a big deal because before... They housed God in the tabernacle, which was, was like a big tent that, that traveled around. They'd take it down, and then as they traveled, they'd put it back up. But this was a proper house of God. And they built this, and on the day they dedicated it, let me just, I wrote these figures down. There was a 4,000-voice choir, with it a 4,000-piece orchestra. There were 288 master music teachers that they spread out in, in Israel and they taught people songs. They taught them how to sing and worship. So when they came together, they were prepared to sing together. <clears throat> One of the things that you see in that moment is how much singing is part of the Jewish faith. And you know what happened on that day? You read about in the Old Testament on that day when they dedicated the temple and there's the, 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 the 4,000 singers and the, the instruments playing and the Bible says that God came down and visited them. He shrouded himself in a cloud, and the people could see God's coming down into the house that we made for him, and he dwelt there. What an experience. You know, the last two I put here, the song of worship to dedicate the walls when they were rebuilt, because they went through a time where, 
where we've studied Babylon, where they destroyed everything and they went into captivity. When they came back, they had to rebuild the walls, Nehemiah 12. They had to rebuild the temple, Ezra 3. And both of those occasions, these rededications of something that's being rebuilt, there's music and worship. And one writer I was reading said, what an appropriate thing, because if you study the history of revivals in the church, in its total history, every time there's a revival where God is moving, it's accompanied by singing and worship. And so the point I'm making is this. There's a uniqueness to man in singing connected to responding to God and what he's doing in big moments of your life. All these big moments going through the Bible. We started in Job and we see creation. There's something there singing. And then going forward, God's people, all these big moments, worshiping and singing. Now, singing accompanies big moments, but singing also uh, when there's great memorization of Scripture. And this is part of what I was saying last week when I, I said I'm going to talk about this ne uh, next week because you know someone who's really singing, they're really connecting with God. One of the things the Bible says is it may be that, that God's Word has been, really been embedded in them. Paul writes in Colossians 3.16, let the Word of Christ dwell. That's like... Like a, like a living, let the Word of God live within you, right? Let the, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so there's something that Paul's saying there that when you take God's Word and you let it live within you, one of the things that comes out of that is that you're a singer. It bring, and the last part is with gratefulness, the deeper I go here, it changes me here, and I'm so grateful I realize who God is and who I am. The gap and the gulf that exists between me and a sinful being and, and a holy God and what Christ did, and he bridged that gap. And the thing that comes out of me is gratefulness in song and worship. Singing not only accompanies memorization of Scripture, but singing is, is, is a great mark of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 18 to 20, do not get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless indiscretion. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what he says there is, look at the contrast. Don't be drunk. It leads to, to bad indiscretions. And see, when you're drunk, you're controlled by the, the alcohol. But, but he said the contrast is over here. Instead, don't be filled with alcohol. Be filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit, then he says these are the things that happen. Over here, we're filled with alcohol. Bad things can happen. Over here, filled with the Spirit. And do you know what he says? When you're filled with the Spirit, Psalms. You speak to one another. Psalms hymns, spiritual songs. I'm glad he gives us some variety. My parents, they like one kind. My kids like another kind. I'm over here in this kind. But all of them can work. It, there can be a variety. But the, the, the unifying thing is being filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit fill you. That means that you are in control. Like, like alcohol would control your decision making, the Spirit controls the decisions you make, how you think, you renew your mind. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, kindness. If I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm going to be a person who is more loving, more kind. See that? The fruits of the Spirit are growing on me. And that kind of person sings. That's what he's saying. So I want you to see this. Good singers could be filled with the Spirit. Good singers they let, they're letting the Word of God dwell in them richly. Good singers, God's done something big in their life. That's what the Bible's giving us. And there's a uniqueness to that. Because the outcome is the singing. Now, I've got a bunch of teenagers in my house. And it's, I've been watching them. And they always do this thing where, like, when they're trying to, like, have a debate about something. Like, right now, they'll be talking about which is the best team, you know, in the World Cup. And... And they'll throw out some statistic and they'll be like, facts. That's what they do all the time. Facts. That's like their way of saying, I'm right, you're wrong. Don't even argue about it. You know, so I'm going to steal that for just a second. And I'm going to give you some facts about worship and singing. 
Don't even argue with me, okay? All right, fact number one. There is more said in the Bible about praise than there is about prayer. Fact. Don't argue with me. See that? <laughs> but it's true. If you were to like take a tally and go through, there's more. The Bible talks more about singing than it even does about prayer. I get told all the time, you should pray more, you should pray more. Well, we should also sing more. There's a connection there. Maybe we sing more, we pray more. Only man, this is a good one, only man can, as a creature of God, made in his image, communicate with organized language through the sounds of pitch, duration, and harmony. Fact. That's why I say it's unique. No, nothing else in all of creation can do it like man can. Now, you might go, but pastor, you know, some animals sing. There are songbirds, right? You know, your dog, ooh, you know, he's singing, you know. Somebody after the first service came up to me, you know, cats sing, yum, 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 yum. Get that commercial out of here. Yes, but they cannot put words together in a way that we can to communicate something about the truth of God. Nothing else in all of creation could do that. And the reason I started out with the angels, because you might go, well, I think the angels could. Yeah, but the pattern we see through Scripture is they mostly say, we are to be singers, something unique that comes out of us in our worship of God. Fact. Only Christianity, compared to all other religions, is musical. Oh, now wait a minute. I mean, what about the Mormon Tabernacle Choir? I got you. Okay. But let me just, first of all, I took this quote from another guy, so, and then I kind of studied it, right? But I was like, what is he saying? Okay. He's saying, first of all, if you look at all the, like the Eastern mystic type of religions, the vast majority of religions, they moan, they grunt, they chant, they wail. And then there are some like, okay, uh, Mormon Tabernacle Choir, they, they copy Christianity. Christianity has been around a long time. They come along. But here's the thing. They don't know the true God. So even in that sense, they cannot sing in a way that is actually conveying truth and with power. Song, it's powerful. And this was the whole thing about musicals. I, 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 if, I, if I watch a musical that's like in a language I don't know, Italian, and they're up there, Viga, lasagna, I don't know, I don't know Italian. And they're singing, I don't know what they're saying, but everything sounds magnificent. And they're up there singing, and there's my Italian friend, man, what did he just say? And he said, can you pass the salt? Like, I didn't know that's what he said, but it sure sounded magnificent. There's something about mixing words with pitch and, and sound and the duration of notes that brings this about. And nothing else in all of creation can do it like Christians with truth. In fact, you know, to illustrate this point, Josh Madrid offered to come up here and move something around, and I was going to turn around and go, what are you doing? He was going to go, moving the mic. I was like, uh, we'll pass on that. But I'm kidding. I just, I made that up. <laughs> it sounded cool. Only Christians, here's the last one, facts. Only Christians can truly sing as we understand it. And I kind of unpacked that already. And part of that has to do with truth. Paul says, you know, at Mars Hill, in, 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 he says, you worship an unknown God. You can't worship something that you don't know. And having the truth of God's word and mixing it into to music and, and, and putting it in a way that reveals this truth in powerful ways. When we sing songs, sometimes focus on the words. Some of the old hymns are so powerful, so packed with theology. Only Christians can really sing as we understand it. Now, what I, what I want to say to you is, look, Job creates the world. None of us are around yet. The angels are there. There's something that looks like singing. It goes forward into time. We have already showed you all through the Old Testament, God's people, big moments. They're singing. They're worshipful. You get in the New Testament. Paul's teaching we need to worship from the, filled with the Spirit in God's Word, moves us to sing. We get to Revelation. We've already were there. We, we're kind of there first. 
And in Revelation, what do we see? There's this endless song that goes on into eternity. Do you realize there are some things we do right now as Christians that we will not do in eternity? We won't pray. Won't need to. But we will sing. There won't be preaching. And somebody says, Amen! It's like, hey. But we will sing. That's why, I mean, just think about that hymn, right? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. And so that brings me to the very end. And what I've tried to show you is this, that angels primarily say, but there's this uniqueness about God's creation in man and singing. And so what does it mean to you? Right? And so we finish with this. It's going to be an exhortation to Christians today to worship and sing. That's been my goal. When I sat down and I said, I want to do Christmas messages, I try not to do the same kind of stuff every year. This is different. I've never done it this way, the Christmas sermons. It's going to be about worship. We're going to draw out of the Christmas story some things that move us to worship. So it's an exhortation to you. And here's number one. Worship is our response to God. Just like Israel's big history moments. They're all a response. This is what you did for me. You wiped out the Egyptians. You destroyed the Canaanite king, and they make a song about it. And when you come in here on Sundays, you are supposed to be responding to God for what he is doing in your life. Did you know there's over a thousand references in Psalms where they sang to the Lord? To him. Is that how you think about it? You know, if, 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 if I'm standing here and it's, it's Kirby's birthday. Yeah, you were falling asleep, so I picked on you. It's Kirby's birthday. And we're all like, let's sing happy birthday to him. And it's like, happy birthday to you. That's not really to him. Like, if it's to him, we all like turn, we look, we go over here. We're like, happy birthday to you. Right? It's to him. And when you come in and you sing, you're to be singing that way to Him. That's how it is. But sometimes we come in and we're not. Over a thousand references in the Psalms where they sang to the Lord. Over a hundred different passages where they're approaching or appearing before God. Mary's song that I already gave you. The 24 elders that I already showed you. Exodus 39, 42 says, There I will meet and I will dwell among you. It is one special, unique expression that we have in all of creation. And that kind of takes me to the next point, which is, it's our response to God. But number two, worship is our rendezvous with God. You see, this is why I just read to you the Exodus 39 verse, which says, There I will meet and I will dwell among you. You see, Rendezvous is, we're going to set a time and we know we're going to come together. That's what a rendezvous is at that specific time at a place. We rendezvous, right? And that's what a Sunday morning is. It's a rendezvous. In fact, in the Old Testament, that, that tent that they would take down and then they would move along, set it back up. That was like the temporary uh, temple. The word for that, its literal meaning was rendezvous tent. That's what it meant. If it, the, the, the analogy would be that we're coming here on a Sunday morning to the rendezvous building. And we've set a time and we're coming together. Why? Because we need to respond to God for what He's doing in our life. You are before God. I mean, just think about um, the, the story where they dedicated that temple and what did I tell you happened? God shrouded himself in a cloud and came down into the building. And this is the idea, that he comes down and there, there's a rendezvous with God. And in our mindset going into that is we're going to be singing like a happy birthday to him. That's why we, really when we're singing, it's really an audience of one. Because we're singing to him. <clears throat> In the Old Testament, no one came to worship to get anything. They came to give back to God. He's that audience of one. Now, Psalm 22, 3 says, God inhabits the praise and worship of his people. That's like his 
natural element where you will find him. And that's why you have, like, we built the temple and we see he came down. He meets you in worship. Psalm, that's what the Psalms verse is saying. The Psalm verse is saying he inhabits the praises of his people. When we come together and worship, yes, it's an audience of one. But as I'm worshiping, God's going to meet me in my worship. He comes and he meets me here in my soul, in here, internally. And I'm responding to him to what, for what he has been doing in my life. If you want to find God, worship. Prepare yourself right. Come before him and worship. C.S. Lewis said, It is in the process of being worshipped that God communicates his presence to men. Even in Judaism, the essence of the sacrifice wasn't that men give bulls and goats to God, but that in so doing, God gives himself to men. I mean, the whole idea of the sacrifice, we're giving a bull and a goat to you. No, that is a symbol of a future sacrifice where God's actually giving himself to you. And God meets us in worship. And lastly, I'll say this. So what do we have in our exhortation? Worship's our response to God. Worship is our rendezvous with God. And lastly, worship is our remedy to discouragement. So, you see, you've got to think of it this way. Because sometimes we come in and like, I'm hearing everything you're saying, Pastor, but there's a lot of tough stuff going on. And even in our lives, we talk about, I mean, sometimes people get into politics. Sometimes they get into the economy. Sometimes they get into, are we going to get into a war? Is Guam going to be in trouble? There's all these things. And then in our personal life, I'm dealing with a difficult person or I got a child that's, that's really stressing me out. Or there's a, there's a, a whole list of things that could be on the worry list, right? And we come in and we just can't, how can we can't get ourselves into the, to the right state of mind to worship? And here's what I want to say. See, when God comes down and he meets you in worship, You cannot be preoccupied with things that discourage you if you're really in the presence of God. I mean, just imagine if you were actually standing before God. Do you think any problem will seem bigger than Him? No. No. And that's part of what God wants. He wants you to come back in in, into His house of worship, a rendezvous with Him, so you're encouraged. So you stop focusing on just an earthly reality and you see a heaven reality and a God who's bigger than any type of struggle you might have. In fact, in Isaiah 61, it records Israel praising God at a time when they're in captivity and their cities have been sieged. And you would go, how can you be singing? You're going into captivity. You're going to be made a slave. You're losing your identity as a nation and your cities are on fire and you're singing. And this is what Isaiah was trying to show in that moment in Isaiah 6, 61. How is it that they could do it? Because Isaiah was teaching we cannot be occupied with despair and focused on the worthiness of God at the same time. It's an impossibility. If somehow the earthly situation is keeping you, then you're not seeing that God. You're not seeing him for for who he is. In fact, the words that Isaiah uses in that are the garment of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. Now just think about that contrast. Spirit of fainting is, holy cow, I got so much hard stuff going on, I'm going to pass out. And the contrast is, I'm going to put on a garment of praise. I'm going to clothe myself with worship going upward to God because in a way, this makes me impervious to the discouragement of earthly situations. Because once I've clothed myself, the garment of praise, I am rendezvousing with the king of the universe and everything else is so small. So, we come to the end. And my hope has been that these messages and the time of the season, the Christmas season, that we are being drawn into worship to connect you with God. I want your heart caught up in worship. I hope it does something to you inwardly. I'm going to finish with this story. This is a story about a man. He was the chancellor of Wheaton. His name was Edmund Raymond. 
You can actually go online and, and find this story and read it. But this is in the, in the 60s, and uh, he, he had the opportunity to travel and to meet the king of Ethiopia. Now, this is an earthly king, but despite that, there were a lot of protocols. So he, he got up in chapel one day, and he wanted to convey something to his students, to, to draw them into, do you realize when you come into here that you're coming into the presence of a king? There's a rendezvous with the king of the universe. Do you realize that? You know, I met an earthly king. Let me tell you about when I saw the king of Ethiopia. This is just an earthly king. And to meet him, I had to come and there were all these protocols. Uh, I, I couldn't just walk up to him. They taught me what they were. I had to prepare myself in a certain way. I came in and it's like you, you, you had to be here first and then you could move to here. And then it was, he had to go through all those things to meet the king of Ethiopia. And then he says, he's an earthly king. How much more should you prepare yourself to come into the house of God, to have a rendezvous with him, the king of the universe? Prepare your hearts. Ascribe worth to him in a unique way. The singing in our worship, it's unique. All of creation cannot do it in the way that we do. And when he was speaking to those college students, this is a true story. He had a heart attack, and he fell over, and he died in chapel. I know Scott was like, what? I know. And th it's, this, it's, it's like he was talking about being in the presence of God and preparing yourself, and in like the moment of that chapel, he did it. God said, you're coming home. And you know what they said about him? No man probably ever had as easy a transition to being in the presence of the king than him. That's what they said about him. Father, I just pray that you would take what we're studying in this, this Christmas season and be moving the hearts of our church to want to worship you. As we said last week, to make the journey to come here to be more like the shepherds on time so that we can participate in the worship as a community and to realize that it's unique. The opportunity we have to sing is not all of creation has that. And to realize that when we come in here, we're to be responding with you to what's going on in our life. The, the, the Israelites, they worshipped you in song for their victories. But we may do that, but we also may have despair and troubles. And if we can just come in and, and be in your presence and lift ourselves up and give ourselves wholly to you, there's a way in which you come down and you, you rendezvous with us. You, you inhabit the praises of your people. And to be in the presence of the king of the universe, Lord, you just, you just make the difficulties of life seem small. We can, we can make it because we have a secure, secure future in you. I just pray that you continue to bless this season, that each Sunday and leading up to our Christmas Eve service, it'll just be a wonderful time of worshiping and lifting our hearts up to you. We give it to you in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand and let's finish as we worship.